and welcome to April's edition of SFI Not So Live with me, Jay Evans. Uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. We are a mortgage and property podcast uh, based in the UK. We're recording on the 31st of March 2023, so just a bit of a caveat that if we do mention rates or certain types of criteria, we may be slightly out of date, so just bear that in mind if you're listening at a later date. Um, got a stellar panel for you once again. We'll be joined a bit later by one of our usual guests, but I have Mr. Phil Lawford from Saffron. Phil, welcome. Thanks, Jay. Introduction? Uh, Yeah, I'm Phil Lawford, the National Account Manager for Saffron Building Society. I I look after our intermediary relationships and I've worked in the industry uh, for 30 years now. Fantastic. Welcome. And we've got Anna Sagar. Anna, hi. Welcome to the podcast again. You've been with us before. A little introduction for the audience, please. Uh, Hiya, I am Anna. I am a reporter at Mortgage Solutions, an assistant editor for Specialist Lending Solutions. So I try and help cover everything, mortgage industry, mortgage broker, anything that's helpful for brokers. We try and do our best to get the news out to you guys. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us. And a new face. I say face every time. New voice, let's call it that, to the podcast. Richard, Richard, welcome. Quick introduction for the audience, please. Thanks for having me. I'm Richard Merritt, uh, Director of Strategic Relationships for Simply Biz Mortgages. Uh, We are one of the largest uh, mortgage clubs in the country. Um, For my role, I look after all of our strategic relationships, uh, look at future proposition, um, and probably relevant for uh, today's discussion, because I think we're going to touch on green. Um, I also uh, now chair the Mortgage Climate Action Group, uh, of which we were a uh, founding member. Green is a very, very popular topic on this podcast. So, Richard, you're more than welcome to join us. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, So let's crack on. I've already caveated, but we just talk about some of the biggest stories affecting the mortgage industry and the property market in the UK. Um, Some of those are slightly wider and outside our market, but might might influence it. But as I say, this is currently the 31st of March 2023. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first story comes from Mortgage Solutions, and um, it's an opinion piece by, (laughs) what do you know, it's for Anna, Um, and it's regarding the mini budget. Um, We're six months on, are we over it, is the title of the article. So, Anna, I'm going to come to you first because you put it together. This is a comment piece. There's a lot of industry voices in here talking about where we are now compared to where we were when it kicked kicked us in the guts a little bit six months ago. Um, what did you hear from the, the people you were speaking to? What what was the sort of common, um, common themes that people said? So I think the common themes were that pricing is starting to come down. Obviously, after the mini budget, there were lots of product withdrawals and repricing. So the the general points was that most of the products have come back. Pricing is starting to come down a bit, but there's a t- it's a tale of two different markets with residential and buy-to-let. So residential is coming down a bit more. Buy-to-let is still not coming down as quickly. And so then there's more, they'll, in order to get the lower pricing, buy-to-let deals will have higher product fees and the, the affordability is still a bit of a struggle. Um, and the general kind of consensus I got from people was the kind of sub 1%, 2% mortgage is just not going to come back. It 4% is probably going to be the norm. So I'd say those are probably the key takeaways from when I spoke to people. So there's been a fundamental shift in people's opinions. They think those 1% to 2% are, are gone. Yeah, I think they were just kind of like, well, they, that was kind of a fluke anyway, because swap rates got to such a low point, whereas um, swap rates now are 
you know, I think I checked just before I came on here that the latest two year swap is about 4.25% and then the five year is about 3.78. So they think it's probably not not going to get down to the kind of heady lows that we've seen previously. Great, Phil, uh, you've had a chance to review the article. What did you take from the comments and what did you agree with? Yeah, I, I thought I thought David Hollingsworth probably got it banged on that the I, th I think the biggest casualty of the debacle um in, in the autumn was was com confidence and, cons and consumer confidence you know that and that's that's going to take the longest to recover um you know interest rates my, my view were interest rates were always were always going to go up that was always that was happening anyway that was the direction of travel but the consequence of not consulting properly um it not it being really ill thought out uh and executed was that um everything happened a lot quicker and more unexpected than than than, than what should have happened so you know that and, and that's what i think that's the biggest thing we've, we've obviously got to grapple with and, and then obviously the second point is is landlords are feeling it probably more more than most i know we're going to talk a bit more about landlords but landlords are being hit on several fronts at the moment so it's not just interest rates as well the the, the other other factors in play but obviously high rates means interest rate coverage ratios where, where you know the, the rent covers the mortgage payments that's that's not working at the moment um and so yeah as you know now there we are seeing more higher fees and, and and that's that's been called out quite a lot but i suppose what's the alternative top slicing might work on some occasions but it's not going to work for every scenario um so at least some higher fee products does create more choice in the market but whether it's the, the right the right answer i don't know Richard, I'm going to come to you. Let everyone have a comment on the article. I've got a couple of questions for you all in a second, but your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with Phil. I think the, the, the main um, point that I took from it was uh, the, the dent to consumer confidence. You know, if you look, if you look at where we are today, um, you know, we were on an upward trend for rates rising uh, before uh, Liz Truss and Co's intervention. Um, obviously kicked it on a touch further um and fairly rapidly as well um you know um but if you fast forward to today we, we, we're you know we're starting to see um a bit more stability in rate um uh we've actually seen some innovation from lenders you know uh, little movements on uh proposition on criteria um and i think although everyone expects the market to be quieter this year the outlook today is probably back in line with what we thought 2023 might look like before the mini budget dented everything. Um, uh, yeah, we were always expecting a quieter year in 2023 compared to the record years that we've had 2021 and 2022. Um, that said, I think the, the longer term impact, and I think this word was used in the article, is, is psychological. Um, yeah, this was this was pain that uh, we as a nation, obviously not us as individuals, we weren't there making this ridiculous call, um, but it, it, it was pain that we as a nation have inflicted upon ourselves, much like Brexit, unfortunately. Um, so I think um, the um, whilst 
we're starting to see a lot more stability um, and uh, more prudent fiscal policy uh, coming out of uh, today's government. Um, I think that dent to consumer confidence, that dent to trust um, in um, the people who make these decisions will probably be far reaching for um, many, many years beyond this, even, even long uh, past the economic impacts. I have to agree. That was uh, very concise. Thanks, Richard. Um, there's, a, there's a second part to this, this particular part of the podcast. We're going to move on to the recent budget uh, in 2023. Um, and actually, this was a I, this one took my interest. Is uh, from Rosie, a financial reporter, um, looking at the missed opportunities of the new budget. You know, we're talking about the impact we had from the, the car crash of a mini budget. Now we've got a budget coming forward, and did the Chancellor really take advantage of that opportunity to to help our market? And um, Anna, let's come to you from a journalist perspective. Did he miss an opportunity? Were there opportunities for some reform, some opportunities to look after first-time? Come on, let's first-time buyers need some help, don't they? <laughs> there was opportunities there, but did he really take any? I think I think there were a lot, there were probably a few things that he could have done. But equally, I remember before the autumn statement, when I kind of talked to brokers before the autumn statement, the kind of resounding thing I heard from brokers was like, "Please leave the mortgage market alone. Just leave it. Stop messing with it." So. I think he probably, I think maybe he thinks the housing market, he's just kind of like, actually, maybe that deserves a bit more thought. But again, I'm not in the treasury, so I don't know. But I think there were some, definitely some things around first-time buyers, stamp duty reform, um, possibly some stuff on, um, uh, yeah, downs, more downs, um, downsizing that he could have possibly looked at. But I think he had, in his mind, he had a lot more bigger fish to fry, even though housing is very important. Um, but yeah, that was the, his decision that he took. I don't think people in the mortgage industry would have done the same thing, to be honest. But that's just my my take. So. Phil, what do you think? I'm not. I, I think I'm not. I wasn't surprised that nothing was done yet. Yeah, there's opportunities missed, but you know, as I've been honest, we're in that cycle where there's going to be an election next year. So maybe they're waiting for the bigger stuff closer to election time because anything good now will be forgotten next year so that's the cynic in me or uh, that, that that that's really what i think i just hope the two main parties are brave when they do make you know make some big decisions because of uh, um that was slightly off topic you know uh, we're in a housing crisis in this country you know we 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 need fundamental brave and ambitious long-term plans you know more than you know a, a cycle of, of, of parliament would would cater for and you know we housing stock is, is we, i think we talk about it on most most of these podcasts but housing stock is, is just that that needs to increase and it needs to increase uh you know for starters first-time buyers for families and also socially as well we need more social housing so all of that we need a big plan um, and we need to do it in an environmentally accountable way as well so it's joining all of that together really and that's that needs a big ambitious plan so I, I really hope the two main parties you know will address it uh, next year uh, but but yeah there's, there's been a, a lot of missed opportunities but I wasn't surprised 
There's been some whispers. I have heard um, uh, a Labour MP yesterday saying uh, there's some whispers of social housing reform and various different things and house building targets. But Rich, uh, we'll come on to that in a bit, actually, because I want to talk about something else. But Richard, just on this subject, and I'm going to chuck a couple of questions away. Yeah, sure. So um, first first and foremost, to Phil's point about uh, an upcoming election next year, I'm, I'm not sure what they can pull out of the bag other than a miracle to, to save themselves uh, uh, at the moment. But coming back to the points we've just discussed on consumer confidence and trust, um, I wholeheartedly agree with you, though, Phil. Opportunity uh, missed in terms of um, uh, the building of, of more homes. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've had a stated pledge to hit 300,000 new homes per year. For some considerable time now and we're falling well short all the time um, and I saw that uh, Richard Fearon of Leeds Building Society was quoted in the article he gave a fantastic speech including personal story um, about home ownership at the recent UK finance lunch um, and um, he was absolutely on the money yeah we and, until we start building more homes this is this is going to be a problem that continues. We can do a variety of things around stamp duty, affordability, all sorts. But the fact of the matter is we are not building enough homes. And, and while we're not doing that, we're going to struggle um, to support uh, the first time buyers um, and potentially even as we move further in um, the private rented sector. Well, even with that house building target, the government has kind of said that it's actually no we're going to make it voluntary so even the target that they've never met they've actually just said oh yeah we'll just you know it's not a it's not a hard and fast target now so it is basically like they're grading their own homework and so i'm just like well you weren't building enough houses anyway and now you're definitely not going to and it's also you have the supply chain issues with builders anyway so it's not that builders don't want to build houses but they you know the material costs and the supply chain issues are really grave and then I think there was also some, the one thing about housing that they did mention in the budget was about nutrient neutrality. So they said, so new developments have to not be as polluting, um, basically, is the crux of it. And But because of that new regulation, 74 local authorities in the UK can't build houses or there's loads of delays to the houses that they were already building. So and they, the government said, they're, oh, we're going to launch a review into it or we're looking into it. So that was the only real bit of housing stuff in the budget but even then they didn't really say oh yes we want to build more houses it's more oh yeah there are problems and we'll just try and find a solution to them it's not actually <laughs> thinking we, we are in um we're in a, a, a horrible political phase of uh let's just wait for the problems to get disasters before we actually do anything about them and then we can't fix them at all but um that's that's interesting going on your cynical point phil it'd be interesting for the rest of you about um, there being an election coming up and this all being a bit political. Um, do you not think that there, there is a missed opportunity in local, bearing in mind local elections are months, so I know they can't make any difference, but I thought if they were doing this politically, they would have looked at their local areas and local elections and gone, actually, we need to appeal to these people because there is a particular housing crisis in their local area. It seemed so maybe Phil, I'm agreeing with you that there might be something impactful that comes up a bit close to the election, but I, I don't know about you guys. Um, we're, we're all intelligent people. We know that nothing's really going to make any difference when you hit the election. You've got two years before you see any kind of policy really taking shape. So um, do you think they've left it too, too late? I think that's a very, yeah, sorry. It's a very, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> They may have left it too late. I know that in the budget they created in 
12 investment zones so i don't know if that's also that's kind of a way for them to kind of say oh look we're acting locally and look at look at us we're doing you know we're going back to, we're going to areas that have been under invested in and we aren't we brilliant to kind of address that local point but i do think that i think i heard i can't remember if it's on the radio or um but a lot of seats that voted tory and that changed to tory in the last election and now switching switching back because they actually said that because the general view is well you said you would do all of this and you haven't so you know i think maybe they have left it a bit too late and i think they might be you know trying to you know as someone who's kind of writing about government stuff it seems like every other week or even multiple times a week there's some kind of announcement coming through so it does kind of feel like they're just being like look we're doing things we're doing all of this stuff isn't that fantastic? I think, I think the dangerous point for them is they say they're going to do it and then someone disproves it literally the next day. It was like the barges story on the front page of the Sun. I mean, that was gone and disrupted, completely um, ridiculously kiboshed the next day. Um, Richard, you look like you're about to say something. There, look like you have something to say. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, and Anna touched on it earlier uh, with some of the brokers that she speak to, spoke to uh, pre-autumn statement. I, I'm in the camp that no government intervention w w was a good thing. Um, yeah, we, we, we had this back with the stamp duty holiday when um, post-COVID the market started to pick up. Um, and whilst, you know, everyone has benefited from the stamp duty holiday, people buying, well, maybe not um, uh, uh, removal men and uh, uh, conveyancers who are probably uh, uh, now seeking counselling to deal with the volumes <laughs> that they dealt with. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, le lenders, intermediaries, we all, you know, sort of, filled our boots so to speak off the uh, off the back of that but i think for a lot of people they actually felt that it wasn't needed um and it was um you know it, it was seen as a good thing for the market but you know if, if you fast forward to some of the things that we will talk about later on house prices you know had a real knock on what i guess would be perceived as a positive impact for house prices i'm not sure everyone buying a house in the last two years would agree that it was a uh, a positive impact because it created a bit of furore and a bit of rush and it was a shot in the arm that i don't think we actually needed so if you look at the, if you look at the budget i think the fact that there was no government in intervention um is actually um uh, a good thing and for me if there was anything that they were going to focus on, Is anyone I would have Richard? liked to have seen it. No, I think we've lost it. Richard, we've lost the signal a little bit, I think. Sorry, I do apologise. Right, am I back at all now? Or, yeah, uh... sort of. The funny thing is, it's recording on your computer, so I'm actually getting the audio. So hopefully you oh, managed okay, to finish right. what you're saying before I interrupted you, because it's okay. actually recording it. But okay, so um, see if, uh, if back, I rewind the step then, because I'm assuming you'll be able to edit it. Um, uh, so... Uh, Am I back again? Still, it's still recording on my computer. Um, so, um, oh, so what was quite in? Just, Richard, we'll wait for you for a second. Just see if you can, if you've got anything open that might be disrupting your your signal, and then we'll just sit and wait for you for a sec. Right. Shouldn't oh. be. I've, uh, I've there we go. Everything else no, you're back. Down. You're back. Yeah, you're back. Okay. You're back. You're nice. back with us. You're um, back in the room. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, don't worry, I can okay. do some creative editing on that. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, re I'll rewind a, a quick step then. So um, I think if there was an opportunity missed uh, within the budget, um, then this was touched on in the article, but I think things that 
encourage um, more older borrowers to right size to, to consider selling their property, which will then impact some of the stock, you know, so that it doesn't all have to be about building. Um, we, we are a small island, we've got a finite amount of space and we're uh, eroding all the green areas uh, uh, more, more rapidly uh, than, uh, than I care to see, that's for sure. Um, so I think if we can encourage um, uh, the sort of reusage and repurposing of existing stock, whether that be older borrowers selling properties or um, uh, commercial premises, retail premises, um, making it easier for them to be converted to uh, new homes, then that would be another answer. Um, and then the other one for me, I've just said, you know, we didn't need the stamp duty intervention. But where I would le like to see stamp duty used is um, to support the green uh, agenda. And I know we're going to be talking about that later. Sir. Um, but what I would love to see is green incentives around for people who buy homes and then go on to retrofit them, potentially getting a rebate on stamp duty, which encourages people to actually go out and spend money to um, improve their home, improve the energy efficiency of it, potentially save money on bills, but they then have an incentive to do so. Great, sir. Thanks, guys. Uh, moving on to um, a story in the mortgage strategy on the mortgage strategy website from Linda. Speculation mounts over new EPC deadline for landlords. Uh, this could be a wider discussion. Richard will be very pleased with that. It's going to be a wider discussion. Um, <laughs> But this has been something that we, you know, obviously we landlords are under a lot of pressure already. There's a lot going on for them. And I think the government have perhaps wised up a little bit and thought, let's give them a little bit of a break and let's push this back a bit. So basically speculation saying that it could be pushed back, the deadline pushed back till 2028. So wider discussion about EPC ratings. Uh, I just want a really quick from each of you, your thoughts on whether you feel this is the right approach to looking at the quality of our houses. Um, Richard, bearing in mind your, your experience, come to you first on that. What's your opinions on EPC ratings and, and what can we do better? Um, well, look, we, we have to do something um, because the uh, sustainability and climate change point is not going to go away. Um, we have a pledge to get to um, carbon neutrality and net zero as a country by 2050. Um, EPC ratings are not about um, uh, getting to a, a carbon neutral uh, point. They are simply the energy efficiency of a home. Um, but equally, we have to have a measure. We have to have a vehicle. So it's the best thing that we've got at the moment. Um, I think from the legislative point on the dates, I'm disappointed to see them move because it's almost a sign to sort of say, does this matter as much as we need it to? But equally, we did need to do something that wasn't quite so draconian as to say, landlords, you can only rent a property out if it's C-rated or above in two years because it was going to be impossible to hit. So um, I think yeah, what, what we really need to see is greater education around uh, what needs to happen greater incentivization for people to make those changes to their homes or the properties that they rent out and above all um, greater government intervention and a more joined up policy to help everybody um, reach this aim together because it's something that will benefit all of us. On that same subject, Anna, your thoughts on EPC ratings going around the room. Um, Anna, your thoughts on them, and I will talk, we'll touch on the actual story in a minute, but just on EPC ratings generally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Richard that it's it's not a perfect system, but it it's one of the only systems that we have. It, I think it's better to kind of tweak the system we currently have rather than just throw the baby out with the bathwater and bring in something completely different. 
um, oh, there is a story that my colleague Shakina wrote actually about um, from his, the, about for talking to surveyors about what they would do with EPC ratings and they were saying well actually it needs to rather than it being an estimate of energy efficiency of a house it actually needs to look at people's actual usage so that would be that would be a possible tweak and kind of like actually you know the estimate could be you use you know an average person would do this but some people you might have like four or five people in a house it might be a student house or it might be actually only two people live here and you know all that you know i think actually incorporating new nuance would probably be a better would be a good tweak to make i think but again that would be very complicated but i think it would be that i think it would, could be a you know help people understand where they can improve and where they can be more environmentally friendly and energy efficient Phil, I think we'll all agree with both Anna and Richard and what they said is all we've got. But do you think there's enough consumer understanding of what it means? Most, I, I'll give you an example. My little sister, she's 40, call her little sister. My little sister thought her EPC rating was just a sticker that was on the side of her fridge when she bought it. They told her the rating of her fridge. That's how she she saw it. She didn't really... You know, the, the, there's no nuanced education there. How do you, she's going to kill me if she listens to this? How do you think that consumers need a bit more information, need a bit more guidance, and a bit more understanding of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. We we talk about it a lot now in our industry, but um, it's it, it's all about education, and uh, yeah, it's not it's it's not translated out to to consumers anywhere near enough uh, but I, I agree with Anna and Richard's comments that in terms of EPCs it's it is all we've got I think the biggest problem is that uh, particularly for landlords is that a third of uh, I think it's estimated something like a third of UK landlords have pre-1940 properties so it, it's a massive problem for landlords to, to get to get it where it needs to be uh, so being pragmatic, I, I, back to the story, I, I don't think there was a lot could have done. Um, so it at least gives them some time and hopefully can use that time to educate the wider public about EPCs and the importance. I, th I think the other bit, and I, I also mentioned surveyors, I think what we haven't yet seen, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this point, is... When are we going to see improved EPC ratings of a property translate into people's the property of the, the value of people's property in, increase? Because there doesn't seem to be a correlation yet. And I think I think once people see actually, yeah, I've improved improved my EPC rating. Hopefully, it means their bills will go down and improve them in the, the pound in the pocket. But also, actually. I've got a much more resaleable asset in my property and we haven't seen that yet and I think it will translate eventually but until we get that to that tipping point that's always going to be a problem as well because if you if you if your property's worth more for doing that that's tangible then isn't it and we're not seeing that yet but we need to see it so do do we need to engage with surveyors more or or, or is it just the market sentiment thing i don't know just for the audience benefit we've been joined by tony hall um head of business development at saffron welcome good afternoon tony i think i've seen noah on my travels 
because um, it is so wet out there, the number of floods I've been through. So apologies for being late, but I thought safety over speed was sensible. I'm glad to see that. Well, we're talking about EPC ratings, and actually, you your timing's impeccable, because we were at an event together last Wednesday, and we a lovely lady in the audience asked a really interesting question that literally took me by real surprise. So your timing is impeccable. Just uh, tell me a little bit about what you were talking about on your event, and then maybe just bring in what the young lady said, which I thought was, in, was inspired. It was, it, was, it was genius, and it was the genius of someone on the periphery of our market, and therefore not jaundiced by opinion already. Um, so I was on a green panel debate at the future FinTech, future financial um, conference and discussing all things EPC. And I was, um, I, I was listening quietly to you guys a minute ago talking about it and Phil's right that the, the sea change is the what's in it for me. Once a, once a consumer understands what's in it for me, they'll start to do something. So if you understand the impact of the value in your house, then I think that's right. I think some of the things we discussed, though, is some properties, are just it's just not possible to 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 EPC them or green them. You know, uh, one of our one of the um, one of the panelists is Roger Morris, who's obviously a well-known figure in our industry, but he's a portfolio landlord of some thirty odd years, so he's seen all of this, and he talked long and hard about lots of things. But he talked about Victorian properties, where if you actually improve the epc rating on them it creates a bigger problem because those houses are meant to breathe so if you do them with nice windows and all you know energy efficiency they start to get damp and mold and create broader problems so actually some properties aren't actually there and when i say some probably what two-thirds of the housing stock in the uk is probably in that ilk um so it's a challenge but one of the things that we talked about was actually if the house can't be made energy efficient or EPCable, what about what they use to heat their house? So if the energy is coming in for a renewable source, can that go towards the EPC rating of that property? So it's not something that they can they can control through a choice. So I think that was useful. But going on to the question that Jay uh, raised, um, um, a lovely uh, she's a freelance writer called Hannah Duncan. And I'm arranging to speak to her in the next few days because she asked, we're all thinking about what we can do inside the house to make it more uh, energy efficient. What about your garden? What about planting trees or, or, or wildflowers? How can we how can we utilize that um, to, you know, to to offset a house's EPC? And I just thought. It's, it's got some flaws from a lending perspective because um, you can kind of grow a tree and then cut it down or the next person cuts it down. But I just thought it's genius thinking outside the box. I noticed Richard had his hand. So, um, yeah, I, I like the, I, that's what I liked about it. She really just sat there and thought, hang on a minute, just think differently, yeah, do was, something differently. It was, a, it was a wonder, it was, it was a real epiphany for me to go, do you know what? That is somebody not in our industry every day asking a really sensible question that all of us just went, Oh, that's really good the room literally went at her it was just bizarre it yeah. was a moment i think it was one of those moments i'd only been in the room about two minutes i just finished my panel sorry richard we carried on the conversation but you were waving away so you've got something no, to not, say not at all um i i couldn't agree more um and i've actually spoken to lenders um in my capacity about this and um yes we can focus on the house um, and we can get people to make their house more energy efficient. But what we need to be focusing on is the household. 
Um, so interesting that she took the angle of the garden. But um, it comes back to the point that Phil touched on earlier, the education and the awareness. Um, and if we can actually encourage, you know, use the corporate know-how, the ESG understanding, the sustainability understanding that lenders and big corporate businesses will have access to, that consumers and even mortgage intermediaries will not, if we can distill that and get that out into the public sphere so that they understand about the, the little changes that they can make to shift the dial uh, on things, you know, changes in um, uh, uh, their own energy consumption, changes in their own plastic wastage, all of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, that is the the the, fo- the, the where, where we should be focusing for me. Um, you know, I, I said it slightly tongue in cheek to one lender um, who was saying, "Oh, we we want to offer green mortgages," and they were going to you know, talking about doing something that rewarded someone who's got something that's already A to C rated. Oh, well, well done, you're rewarding someone who's buying a new build. And <laughs> um, I, I actually said, "You know what? You'd be better off." giving out um, free or, or tokens for LED light bulbs or who gives a crap toilet paper and actually reinforcing people to go out and and um, use more sustainable um, materials yeah. and ways of living and working. I'm so glad you said that because you get me a chance to have a little plug. Um, <laughs> coming up in May, coming up in May 2023, will be Young Richard himself and uh, a few of us on the panel. There'll be a webinar on green finance where we're going to delve into all that in much more detail. So that was a, thanks for that, Richard. You set me up a nice little plug. Anna, you look like you were going to say something there. You? Yeah, I mean, it's something I hear from brokers a lot. Um, is you know when we ask, when I've asked about green mortgages, they say, well, it's all, it's rewarding, it's rewarding properties that are already there. And actually kind of what would be better is like further advanced kind of deals or maybe something that could encourage people to make the improvements and something I saw that was really good from Halifax as they have, they teamed up with the Energy Savings Trust. So you can put in your postcode and other details of your property and it will kind of roughly say, okay, so we think, you know, obviously, because it's from databases and things like that, uh, we think your EPC rating's this. This is where we think you could probably get to. This is how much it's going to cost you. Um, this is how much you'd save on your bills. And I think that was a really useful tool to kind of just help people visualize, okay, what are the easy wins that I can do? What are some of the longer term things that I could do? What, you know, what's achievable? You know, so I put my my house in, which is like a Victorian terrace. So, you know, there's a lot of things like getting the roof done, which I'm just like, well, I can't, you know, that's a, yeah. that's a bit of a longer term project that I probably am not going to do. But things like, I mean, I know that we said Victorian properties shouldn't have double glazing, but it's things like, okay, maybe some window, you know, you can put double glazing in or you can do other things that are a bit easier. So I, you know, there's, to, that, that, to that point, Anna, though, there's some, re- there's some, re- we've got five of us on here. Who, who's got a sofa in front of a radiator in one, or a bed in front of a radiator in, in at least one room in their house? Yeah. I, Everybody, I'm, I'm lucky I don't, but yeah, yeah a lot of people do, don't but they? Just, yeah, just actual re- repositioning of the furniture in the house to ensure that um, what is heating the room um, has, uh, uh, can, can, um, uh, expose itself to the whole of the room. Um, fabric first approach, you know, um, draft excluders. Uh, draft excluders are a very 70s, 80s thing. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can get really nice ones on Etsy nowadays. Uh, do you know what? There's actually <laughs> in videos on YouTube on how to make them out of dry pasta and various go. other things. Absolutely brilliant tips, yeah. honestly. Just to just to geek out a little bit, when um, and actually I'm going to plug Saffron, but inadvertently, when we uh, they launched their retrofit green mortgage, um, I did some research on this. I did. Ex- 
exactly that, Anna, as you were saying. I went out and just looked and tried to find out what we could do, small value things we could do to get that rating up for an F to a to an E. And um and it was it was quite simplistic stuff. It wasn't like, oh, go and re-double glaze your whole house. It wasn't that. It was a, a couple more inches of insulation or uh, which was the probably the biggest expense of all of them. But some of it was like, you know, the um, if you haven't got double glazed windows, you know the sheeting that you put on the inside. The people have made some really clever stretch versions of this that you can attach to without even damaging your walls. It was just the things I found. And the innovations are there. It's, it's, I think it's education now. It's education. T turning, turning your computer off instead of leaving it on standby makes a massive difference. Um, it's, it's, it's all the little things that will mount up. And I think you're absolutely right, Jay. It comes down to education and making more people aware of it. And I, and I do... Well, whilst you know the cost of living crisis is a is a horrible thing, and clearly lots of people are being affected by it, um, I think that will actually be the tipping point because people are going to start to feel it in their energy bills, and this is where advisors getting behind it and embracing it. When you're looking at customers' costs, if you have a basic awareness of um, how people can make their homes more sustainable. You can actually help people, but you, know, you don't have to go out and spend 15 grand on a heat pump. Um, I, I mean, if you've got the money and you want to do that, great. But um, if, if advisors can actually just sort of have um, uh, the curiosity to come out and, and explore some of the options that are available to people and just be able to offer little bits of advice. Um, you know, they, they'll do it on their mortgages all the time. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of great advisors out there advising people who are on a 1% or a 2% rate to overpay at the moment and prepare themselves for the rate jump when it comes. Um, they can do the same by embracing the green side of things and say, help them save their money on their bills. Yeah, I think also brokers can just signpost to a lot of resources as well. So even if you know, it's just like, look, I don't know, you know, this isn't an area that I have a huge amount of expertise on, but, you know, look at the Green Finance Institute, look at these guys and maybe even if you're not you know, providing people with a drop down list of like, do all of these things, just being like, hey, these are useful resources for you. Cause then, you know, that's also a very valuable thing, I think. That, that there was some lovely, sorry. That, I was just gonna say that Anna touched on the Green Finance Institute, the handbook that's been produced and the uh, Amy website that's been produced in conjunction with Mortgage Climate Action Group. Um, they're great resources. I would urge everyone to, to go out and have a look. When we post the podcast in the comments, I'll put some links to those in for anyone listening. I'll put some links in. Richard, if you've got any links you want to send me, send them over and I'll put them in the description. Sorry, Anna, I talked over you. No, I was just going to say we, on the Mortgage Solutions Editorial Desk, it, we just have it as a, like, pinned, just in case, you know, if we need to talk about green finance things or, you know, we just have it as a little editorial resource, so... Like, it's very I have to. I have to say, to, to be fair to land lenders, I was with about six building societies on Wednesday, and the resources they've got for brokers now, which I didn't know about because I'm not a broker, obviously. Um, but I had never seen these resources before. And they were showing me around some of the platforms, and there was some brilliant videos and tips. And actually, there was, you know, some of the lenders have really good tips on there on this very subject. So there is a lot of work being done. I know Saffron's doing the same. There's a lot of work being done in the background, which is really good to see. We could talk about this all afternoon. We'll be here till Saturday morning at this rate oh sorry but one more comment from tony is he's just yeah, no, just it's just it's this it's a, a practical uh practical thing again um going back to richard's point around you, you can do something it doesn't always have to be the grand gesture so uh, this is again something that roger mentioned uh in on wednesday that thermal curtains cost 96 pounds and will save you roughly about 350 pounds a year on your heating which is the equivalent saving of a heat pump 
Okay, that's crazy. So it's not about doing the expensive stuff. It's about doing the the power of marginal gains and doing these small things as and when you can that will really add up. So it doesn't have to be this daunting outlay. So I just thought I'd end on that because it's a really practical idea it, you know. well well nuanced actually because richard you mentioned about the heat pump and that was the first thing that popped in my head was i bet they did nothing before they got the heat pump they just had the cash in the bank when i get a heat pump <laughs> and, 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 hang on yeah i'm gonna save some money on my bills and you actually look and look at the house as a whole and say what can i do to make that heat pump even more efficient for me if i actually don't you know have leakage as as i say we could talk forever but let's move on uh due to time constraints we're going to jump over to um our we're going to skip the bank story for just a second and move over to the BBC News story, which says mortgage lending hits lowest level since 2016, excluding the pandemic, of course. Here comes your crystal ball moments of what's going on here. But, um, you know, we're, we're all a little bit surprised. We mentioned a little bit earlier, actually, that the, the property market really did kind of keep the economy going during the pandemic, which was never what everybody thought it would do. And we, we ended up quite buoyant. Um, but this is now talking about lending in general fell. We're in a cost of living crisis, so it's part of that sinking in. But what were your thoughts on this? I'm going to come to, let's go to Tony first, because you haven't had much chance to talk, Tony. Have you had a chance to review this one? Yeah, it's, it's odd because isn't there another article that says mortgage lending has rapidly gone back up the next month? So, you know, it's I'm not quite sure which lens we should be looking at. Um, yeah, it, look, it... It, it has dipped. It's been, you know, we, we, we speak, and I'm, you know, Rich is in a much better place to confirm this, but Phil and I speak to our, our distributors all the time. And, you know, their, their summary has been, this year has been heavy on completion so far as the pipelines go out, but new business is quite slow, as much as 30% down in some cases. So this is, this is no surprise um, that, you know, cost of, the cost of living for one, the, the hitting on affordability plus the rising interest rates, it's, it's, it's a bit of a no surprise story really, in my honest view, um, but it also is what the market does. I, I was going to say, you're always going to get it, aren't you? Any year yeah. and any month will have an article like this that kind of mirrors it in my view. The reason I put the story in, and Richard, you can maybe help me out a little bit on this one. The reason I put the story in is a little bit, well, Tony just said, actually, we had a huge backlog. A lot of lenders were had a lot of mortgages going through. So actually, we're getting more completions, but actually new business is slowing. It was the way I saw it. Do you think, do you agree with what Tony said? So I, I, I do, yeah. I think there's a couple of other uh, points to make, though. Um, so one, um, you've got the, uh, yeah, we're in a very refinance-heavy uh, market right now. Um, and you've obviously got a cycle of cessations. Um, and um, you know, this is reporting on February data. February is the shortest month in the year. I don't, I don't think I ever remember in the recent history seeing a product that ended on the 28th of February. So there's, there's naturally <laughs> going to have been less remortgages um, uh, uh, that complete at the end of February than there will have been at the end of January because that's a big cessation uh, point. I think to the application data, um, what we also know is that we're in a very PT um, heavy uh, market right now, product transfer heavy market for anyone listening who doesn't uh, know what a PT is. Um, uh, and um, those applications don't get reported on in the figures. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot of that information at the end. And is it, from a distribution perspective, we see um, product transfer data reported in completions, but we don't see it reported in applications. So there have been certain points since the mini budget where you know, um, the level of, or the volume of uh, product transfers has really shot up, um, where we've been like, oh, 
this is a little bit worse than we're hearing anecdotally because if you go out and you speak to brokers a lot of them are doing a lot of product transfers so it, i think a lot of this will be in the the data that we're not seeing i think the other uh, final point to make is if you look at where rates um have been since christmas um you know we spent most of january basically just sort of going it's going to get better it's going to get better so the advice to customers um from intermediaries who do a wonderful wonderful job um you know it's a really key point to make here a lot of intermediaries were really really busy in january having great conversations with people and just just saying to them hold 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 um and what we've then seen is a little bit more activity um uh, in um uh, late february and certainly across march you know it's in what's going to happen with interest rates has been like the hokey cokey over the last few weeks are they going to go up <laughs> or they're going to go down something happens or oh, they've changed their mind um so i think the um uh, that will have really sort of affected the volume of applications that are being done as people sit and wait and what it does really really emphasize though is how important a broker is and i've spoken to a lot of brokers who have said recently uh, we've got lots of customers doing product transfers and they they don't want to send in one bank statement or one payslip so we can do it and you know they yeah every case should be advised because what a broker is going to do they are going to sit and monitor that and if things improve um, they'll be straight on the phone to the customer and advising them actually you might want to change this and um, if they get worse they'll secure it for someone so um, yeah I think really really key point to make on the importance of advice um, while all of this is going on. I think that's true and I think if they're not getting the advice Anna, from, a, from a broker and you're looking at an individual going to a mortgage for their bank they're not going to get the same advice but actually they are more likely to just sit and wait as Richard says sit and wait and see what the market's doing aren't they? Yeah, I think, you know, from, I, I totally agree with Richard that um, a lot of brokers I'm speaking to, they're having lots of conversations with their customers, but they're just, the customers are taking a wait and see approach because a lot of people just expect rates to keep to kind of, they've been going down quite kind of, you know, steadily, um, you know, and, you know, from someone who has to write, writes a lot of lender update stories, it's usually like three or four lenders a day are kind of tweaking their rates. Like some, some are increasing them, like tracker rates, obviously, when the Bank of England increase the base rate they'll go up and but a lot the majority of rate changes we're seeing are decreases so it makes sense to hold off um it was interesting thing last week was um some of the big banks like barclays and natwestern um i think it was hsbc and nationwide they kind of reported their you know oh how many people remortgage with you how many customers stay with you and i think it's roughly about three quarters so I think that's a bit, you know, that's quite interesting that maybe three quarters of these big banks, three quarters of their customers might not be getting broker advice if they're just going straight through to a product transfer. So I think that's quite that's quite interesting, but um, to just a point to think about that actually a lot of people might just do a PT and not be getting that, you know, they'll just take the easy option rather than maybe kind of just seeing, going to a broker and seeing what their what their wider options are. That stems to a wider point, really. We were talking about education a little while ago. Uh, I think there's a lot of education needed early doors before for first-time buyers, I think, as well, to actually know what the, what the point of a broker is and all the benefits of a broker. Because 
frankly, I, you know, I talked to my sister earlier. She's going to kill me. Um, she, I sent her to a broker in the end um, and said, look, go to a broker. They'll find you a product because one self-employed, one employed. It was all complicated. But Phil, that's that's really our mission now. And I know you guys at Saffron are really strong on educating brokers, but it's it's the consumers need educating about brokers, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we, again, we, we talk about this subject a lot is at the moment there's a lack of education in schools on you know financial services and how to handle finances that's you know uh there are the good news there are a lot of initiatives coming in now uh but in the meantime um there's still this gap so how, how do we fill that so you know it, yeah um rich richard's point was I couldn't have made it any better he is you know go and see a good broker you know uh because of that that's 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 the best that's that's the best route to it i think the the, the point here is um things things change and they move so quickly and and i know, yeah. I know we yeah. sort of skipped the silicon valley silicon valley and credit suisse bank story but if you look at what happened and the outlook for what was going to happen with interest rates just you know in a heartbeat um, around that um, uh, it, it, it's really really important to um, have someone who is going to access that information is going to I mean I wouldn't expect a single broker to be able to predict what is going to happen in the world because let's face it it's impossible predicting things is a mugs game right now um, but to be able to give a balanced view about what's going on and you know and Anna you said hold up I'd actually fundamentally disagree with that I, I would say the right thing to do today is to secure something and um, but provided you can unpick it afterwards. And that is where a broker is going to be able to add value. Because um, if, if a customer secures something today, if it gets worse, which it might, um, uh, they've got that rate secured. If it gets better, which it might, um, then, then uh, they, they've got the option yeah. to unpick. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, um, yeah, let me clarify, because when, yeah. when they say hold off, it's more like, oh, we'll get your foot in the door yes. with your current lender, but we'll just, you know, don't necessarily commit right away yeah don't kind of go for the for the first person who asks you to dance kind yeah. of thing we've got we've gone um, we've gone from a yeah. really benign advice environment where it was so easy just to say take a five-year fixed rate because there's five-year rates at one and two percent and um you know now it's not cut and dried for anyone and i think everyone is probably umming and ahhing yeah w w would you fix for five years at four percent um, or fix for two years at 4.3, 4.4, and take your chances that rates might come down. Who knows? Um. We, Jill, one of my favourite phrases to use in this podcast is pull out your crystal ball, because it is literally <laughs> that, isn't it? You can, uh, I, we've had an, a, a seriously good economist on here going, don't make predictions, it's not worth it, <laughs> which is very true. Um, but the, the next story, which I'll only just touch on, because I want to go back to the Silicon Bank thing, so I want to talk about uh, the nuances of what that means for our market and how that's going to affect, because Annie, you had some really good sale a while ago about that. But just on to the last story really, really quickly, because this relates a little bit to what we've been talking about, and you have just mentioned it a little bit, but the approvals are up now. Um, mortgage approvals seen, and actually the shortest month, as Richard just said, February, actually saw an increase on January. So we are seeing people getting approved. Tony, is this because um, criteria is being adapted to allow people more chance of affordability? What do you think? Is, what do you think it is? Do you think it's the market adapting to our scenario and our situation, and and so they're able to get more approvals through? 
Yeah, look, it's 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 a it's an amalgam of of, of what of what Richard and Anna have both said already. Really, you know, February is a short month. Um, a lot of maturities probably in March, so a lot of product, a lot, a lot of product transfers, a lot of remortgages, um, and yeah, rates did drop in the month. So it was, you know, we saw a load of sub four percent rates. So a lot of people would have snapped those up in that period. So I think it's just a, that, um, you know, lend, affordability models aren't going to get any cheaper. In fact, they're going up even more. Quite frankly. Ours has recently because we've had to add, we, we have to pass on the appropriate cost to make it a responsible lending decision. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it's not getting any cheaper. Um, and I don't, I haven't seen any, any drastic changes in like adverse credit policies from lenders or anything like that that's going to help those that can't lend. But I think it's just an amalgam of all the things that we talked about before personally i think that's why i would skim this because it just seems like we've already talked about this yeah. subject already phil anything to add before i move around to the other two no not really i don't know, add any more than, than what's already already been been said to, to, to be honest yeah tell you what then we'll go back to and thanks richard for to chucking it in because i was going to go back to it. i wanted to skip it because it's uh, make it the last one because it's quite a meaty one this one and what we can talk about so We've seen the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. We've seen the sale of Swedish, uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, oh, the collapse and sale, should we say, really, because they were on the way out. Um, it does have an effect on our market. It might not be direct, but a lot of it's on confidence. There's a lot of shifting. And we had a lovely chat just before we went live. So perhaps you could just relay what you said to me on your research for your article. And the fact you had to rewrite it. I think that was really key. That's a really yeah. key point there. Uh yeah, I mean, I think it kind of feeds into what Richard said is that it's so hard to predict. It's impossible to predict what's going to happen because immediately. So the timeline of it, it was Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And then there were two other there's First Republic and um, another one who one. I think one of them collapsed and one of them was propped up by the so US government. Bank, I think we did all um, that, yeah. yeah. And so immediately after that swap rates in the UK started to fall because people thought that they the Bank of England would keep the, the base rate. Um, they wouldn't increase it. And so then I wrote a story basically being like, oh, this could, you know, this this looks scary, but it could actually be better for mortgage borrowers because mortgage rates could come down. And then Credit Suisse um, collapsed and then um, there was a, they, it was bought by UBS for under market value and a deal arranged by the Swiss government and UBS. And then swap rates started going up again. And so, and then the Fed increased their rate. So there was, so, so I wrote one story the week before and then another story saying almost completely the opposite thing a week later. So I think that, you know, I suppose that just kind of shows how quickly things can change. But I think the most recent one I wrote was just saying, you know, the UK banking system is, is safe. We, you know, it's more, we've got better capital and liquidity, more protections in place for, after following the global financial crisis. But it might just make mortgage lenders a bit more cautious. Um, it might, you know, have a knock-on effect, you know, like a ripple effect in the sense it might make banks a bit more cautious. But again, it's so hard to say because then you have the other side of it where lenders might have to get more competitive um, and then they might cut rates. So then you, it's really, really difficult to kind of see the kind of butterfly effect of it. Richard, you're nodding away there. Anything to, to yeah, what I said? I think I think for me, I totally agree with Anna. Um, the pace at which things can escalate. Um, you know, we operate in a Twitter-oriented uh, world now, where um, that news can um, spread 
uh, like wildfire. Um, and I, I, and I forget the figures on how uh, much got withdrawn from Silicon Valley Bank sort of overnight, but it was uh, it made Northern Rock look, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, look fairly calm um, with all those queues that we saw uh, uh, back in uh, back in the 2000s. I think the other point that it really highlights is, yeah, and I'm I am not an expert on this stuff in the slightest, um, but from what I've read is a lot of this happened because of the change to uh, the levels of um, regulation that Trump brought in in 2018. Um, and so for me, what it highlights is the importance of regulation. And I think where we are yes. lucky in this country is we, you know, we, uh, we've got consumer duty coming in at the moment and I'm sure everybody is fed up to the back teeth of talking about it. But regulation in our market is a good thing. Um, it protects uh, uh, banks, it protects intermediaries and it protects consumers. I think I'm going to come to you, Phil, but I think I'm going to probably say a little bit of what you're going to say. But what worries me is this government's need or want or drive for less regulation panics me because actually I agree with you, Richard, 100 percent. The regulation is what we need. And Phil, um, I'm presuming you're on the same mindset as me. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I was worried a few weeks ago. Um, you know, that there were a lot of parallel. Were we seeing parallels to 2008? But when it all sort of kicked off, and uh, um, had a conversation with our, our CEO, uh, and you know he, he he was really good in spelling out the differences between now and 2008. So this was more interest rate risk, while 2008 was credit risk. And we are, in a, certainly in the UK, we appear to be much better capitalised, as Richard said, due to good regulation now what seems to have happened in the us was the trump administration unraveled some of the the tightening up post 2008 and you know no stuck sherlock uh what happened yeah so um yeah ho hopefully that's where some of the the parallels have uh, have ended uh, but you know it's all back to confidence as well as, as long as confidence in the banking sector is there that then hopefully we won't see uh a return to sort of northern rock um circumstances and that's 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 what we want to that's what we want to avoid tony that's what consumers are going to see though isn't it they're going to remember northern rock and i know a lot of people don't understand the depths of what we're talking about here and the general consumer is going to be a little bit like just seeing the news and going oh here we go again um so i think you know there is a, an element of it being inflamed as richard said, i quite like what you said there about living in the twitterverse of of news which is like everything spreads so quickly um so tony yeah it's a consumer confidence side as well isn't it there's that confidence that we're not going to go back to where we were yeah, look, exactly. And, and the, the, well, the very nature of the fact that these got stopped and picked up means that we have learned the lessons, you know, or maybe not as quickly as we like in the States with that. But, I, you know, as Phil said, I think we, we, we are, we, that would not happen in the UK again, in my personal view, in, in terms of the amount of scrutiny and the amount of um, um, involvement with the Particularly, the you know the prudential regulator um, in terms of all banks and bill size, etc. So yeah, I don't I don't think it, it will. So you know, but it's 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 incumbent on us as the banks and bill societies to educate the consumer. So you know, when all this hit, I asked 
marketers to uh, our marketing uh, head of marketing to prepare a statement to make sure that everybody understood that you know this is not a problem for us because at the same time as this happened we would do a number of products and that wasn't through any commercial or funding concern it was we were too busy and therefore we were we were taking the gas off for a bit but you know you don't want people putting two and two together and put adding up to five so it's about creating that um comfort at the point of when it when it happens i think that's the key thing to do is educate i know we've used it a lot it's easy to say and not as easy to do but that that is the key of keeping people just just calm in the right places there's a really good article in the times that nick mendes from john charcock shared with me uh it quite alarmed me how to prepare for a credit crunch but actually it was a, it's a really balanced article uh, i thought it was, was was quite quite good well on that very deep topic uh, that's our time up um i just want to just that was so enjoyable and those sorts of conversations are conversations that could go on forever i think looking at the panel i think everybody's ready for another hour but we've run out of time so um just want to go around the room just say thank you to everyone richard thank you for first time around with us hope you'll come back thank you for having me i'll be delighted to come back really enjoy we that. would love to have you back we'll book you in, in later months anna welcome back thank and you. thank you again for joining us Absolutely and Phil and Tony again, uh, welcome. Oh, thank you. And Tony, thanks for eventually yeah. getting to us and, and driving safely for the benefit of the rest of the road users. So thank you. For being, for being late, yes. Yeah, if anyone doesn't remember, this is the day of the storm coming in from France and Tony got the full brunt of it today. So that's it from us for this month. Um, don't forget SFI Live if you are a viewer and you're a broker. SFI Live is coming up at the beginning of April. Um, so do give us um, a, a watch if you can. Look out and register as soon as you can but from us for this month for april that's it it's goodbye and uh, we look forward to seeing you next month take care